Are you sick and tired of your business computer guy? Does he take forever to call you back and respond to your request? Are you paying him good money to keep things working, but there are still constant problems, slowness, and other recurring issues? Are you worried he's not backing up and securing your network? And does your head hurt from having all these issues to deal with? If this describes you, please be sure to call my good friend Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital at 843-664-8989. Heritage Digital is an IT firm that specializes in safely securing and managing your business IT network. Whether you have one employee or 500, Heritage will make sure that your business isn't bogged down by IT issues impacting your security, productivity, and most importantly, your profits. Heritage Digital will perform a no-cost IT assessment and ask you all the right questions to make sure your IT network works correctly all the time, and it's for one low monthly fee. This is a turnkey solution, folks. And with clients from South Carolina to California, Heritage has you covered. So if you're sick and tired of the constant computer and network issues, call Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital today at 843-664-8989 and get rid of all the issues negatively impacting your business once and all and forever. 843-664-8989, heritagedigital.com. Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Inside the Gamecocks podcast, J.C. Sherbert here with you Wednesday, April 13th. Hope everyone is doing well. Uh, good to be back with you today. I apologize for no show uh, earlier this week. I had a massive sinus infection uh, illness hit the house, <laughs> of all things. Uh, and I finally got it. I didn't get it all week last week. Finally got it about Sunday, so I was bedridden, and you guys wouldn't want to listen to me anyway. And uh, if I'm a little uh, hoarse or whatever, that's why. <clears throat> but uh, certainly want to thank Heritage Digital for the uh, sponsorship uh, here in our first segment, spring game week this weekend, the big game cock weekend kickoff for the spring game, 7 p.m. You got a baseball series with Ole Miss this weekend. The baseball team won last night against North Florida. Uh, pretty uh, sad series against Georgia this past weekend, if you ask me, just uh, blowing the lead Friday and then coming out and getting run on Saturday, on I mean, Sunday. Uh, just not good. Baseball season continues to not trend in the right direction. I know there's injuries and all that, but it's just uh, just tough, you know, just tough. So, um, so here we go. Uh, wanted to say that uh, you know South Carolina's basketball program has announced some staff members. Uh, you know, this is not the third assistant coach. Uh, I'm hearing that's still in progress, and it's a name some people will want to know. Uh, But David McKinley, who was an on-the-court coach at Chattanooga with Lamont Paris, uh, he's hired as the director of player development. Uh, Colby Arendale is the director of basketball operations, and Roman DePascal is the video coordinator. They're all coming from Chattanooga. So that's five guys uh, basically coming with Lamont Paris uh, from Chattanooga. Um, they've been with him for a while. Uh, you know, look, guys, here's the thing. It, it's not football. <laughs> and it's not out of the question that uh, a coach comes up from a lower level, brings his whole staff. That's, uh, that's the deal. So we, uh, 
We don't need to freak out about it. I, I do think this third assistant will be a different guy because uh, Lamont's already hired like all of his staff from Chattanooga. Uh, so there's really no room for another Chattanooga guy in. Of course, Carrie Rich was hired uh, as the special assistant to the head coach, going to work with high school relations, recruiting, things like that. Uh, and so certainly we're very happy for him. Uh, but expecting that news uh, to break at some point. Uh, with uh, and I don't have a name. <laughs> I have some speculation. Laval Jordan, uh, the former head coach at Butler, is a name that's been speculated upon for that next spot. Uh, former Clemson assistant Steve Smith, who's at Florida State, is another name that's been out there. I don't know. I don't believe that it's him at this time. Um, you know, but there's been some talk uh, that uh, that last spot will be someone that will make Gamecock fans happy or that should. I don't know. You know, and I, I and look, I'm going to admit this to you guys too. I don't know enough about basketball assistants. Like like football assistants, I can tell you, you know, it, it, you know, you look, well, this guy was at this school and recruited these guys, uh, and then he put this many players at his position in the NFL, that kind of thing. Basketball is a much more collaborative effort. So it's really hard to tell even if a guy has a big rep uh, if he's the one actually doing it, or a lot of times it's the head coach. I mean, you just don't, you just don't know. I mean, I knew coming in that Chuck Martin, uh, when he came with Frank was a good recruiter. Uh, you know, I, I don't think we knew that Lamont Evans as flawed as, <laughs> you know, <laughs> his career has been, uh, or Brad Underwood or any of those guys that, that came with, uh, Frank. I, I don't know that we knew that how good they were or not. Um, you know, and it, it probably takes a fan base like uh, Kentucky or North Carolina or a Duke or one of the big East schools or Arizona, someplace like that, UCLA to really know uh, and dig in and follow this kind of stuff. And, and then in college basketball too, not, you know, the blue bloods sort of recruit a certain way. And then the other schools recruit a certain way. Uh, and then you have one and dones and all, and all that good stuff. Now you got the transfer portal. So it's, it's a mess. It's, it's kind of a, uh, a new sport almost when you're following this off season stuff. Uh, but, you know, that's just what I'm told about that final assistant. You know, to me, uh, big name, not a big name, critical, not critical. I don't – it doesn't matter to me because I just don't know. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, unless the guy comes in and, you know, everybody that knows basketball recruiting and basketball singing his praises and they can't believe he's in South Carolina, I just – I'm not going to know. I'm not going to know what to, how, to, how to feel about it, uh, you know, or, or whatever. So uh, there's that. So there's uh, there's the situation uh, with regards to the basketball staff. Um, like I said, Garnet and Black Spring game this weekend uh, had some good news and notes uh, from the press conferences today. Spencer Rattler talked about Cam Smith, compared him to Derwin James and Jalen Ramsey. That's high praise. <laughs> uh, in case you, you you didn't know, Derwin James probably one of the best defensive backs to play college football in a while. That uh, was at Florida State, obviously, uh, and then Jalen Ramsey was also at Florida State, and uh, obviously he's had a good career in the NFL. So Rattler, you know that that's that's pretty high praise uh, from what he said. Uh, another interesting piece of no news that that I've, uh, I got from the press conferences today: Rashad Amos. A lot of you have asked about him. Is he going to transfer or whatever? Um, he actually shot that down today. Somebody asked him for whatever reason, asked him if he was going to transfer. Um, he is playing in kind of like a role similar to Jaheim Bell. Uh, 
H back, fullback type of deal, along with some tailback. He's six two two twenty. Um, so I'm, you know, I, I think it's pretty smart, you know, cause I, I, I think he's the type of guy that, you know, at tailback, I mean, he's probably not going to, you know, not going to see the field over Lloyd, not going to see the field over Bill Smith. Those are two veteran guys that are really good. It's not that Amos isn't good or he couldn't go play. Uh, and then, you know, you got Juju McDowell in the mix there. And then you got Lavasse Carroll behind him. And those are kind of different guys that give you speed and slot ability and things like that. So, you know, when we talk about how to use the running backs, uh, I think Amos is good enough to be on the field. Now, you know, is he good enough to be starting over Marshawn Lloyd? Probably not. I think it's a good way to get him on the field, quite frankly. And I think it gives you another position and a- another type of versatile guy that you could draw up plays for, you know, because he's not really just a fullback. He's not just a guy out there blocking. Um, he's got skills. And so I thought that was an interesting, uh, interesting piece of news. Well, probably the biggest news coming out of the press conferences with the players today. Uh, kickoff 7 p.m. You've got uh, fireworks afterward. Uh, a lot of people I know bringing their families to the spring game this weekend. That's awesome. Uh, hopefully the weather's good. I haven't checked the forecast in Columbia, but, uh, you know, should be a good weekend to be a Gamecock. People are asking me now, what do you want to see out of the spring game? What are you looking for? <laughs> I'm, I, you know, I honestly, when I look at something like that, I'm looking at individual players. Who looks better? You know, who looks like they want to play? Who's making plays? Who has a chance? It's not a predictor of future success. Uh, you know, I, I, you remember – I always call the MVP of the spring game the Taki Muhammad uh, award winner. Taki Muhammad was a player that shifted to wide receiver during the Holtz era and had a huge spring game, and then, you know, you never heard from him again uh, after the season started. Uh, there's been a lot of guys like that. But, um, and I say it tongue-in-cheek, but, you know, that, that doesn't really matter. You know, you, you're not using that as a predictor of season success – you're just looking to kind of see who's going to help, you know, and last year, you know, quite frankly, and I talked about this on JB and Goldwater earlier today. Um, quite frankly, last year, I think we learned some things about Jaheim Bell uh, and about Zaquandre White uh, that we maybe didn't know in the spring game. That, those are the guys that were healthy. Zaquandre got a ton of carries. You saw that he was a different back than he was in 2020. Uh, you saw that he was running differently. What running with more confidence, getting more north south, and and that paid off um, during the season. Obviously, with some titanic games uh, for him. Same thing with Jaheim. Uh, I think we all kind of thought Jaheim was a ball player, but he only caught one pass uh, the previous year, and you know was recovering from an ACL, and then you know comes out in the spring game. He's lining up at fullback. He's getting handoffs. He's catching passes. That kind of thing. Yeah, that guy, I think at that point we kind of knew, kind of knew. But then again, you want to flip that. The offensive line certainly in last year's spring scrimmage games looked pretty good, didn't they? <laughs> Against the defensive line. Well, that's because the defense is playing base. Uh, you know, and defensively you're looking at one-on-one battles, who's winning the one-on-one battles, that kind of thing. Uh, but, you know, as far as, let's say hypothetically, just like last year the defense didn't really – you know, they had some stops, but they didn't really bow up. I mean, you know, you, you got there, let's say it's a 35-34 game because it's 
they're not splitting it. It's not going to be first team versus second team, that kind of thing. Uh, they're going to do a draft and divide it up and play a game, which is how Steve Spurrier used to do it. So that's kind of cool. Oh, shoot. I'm going to divide them up, play a game. And I kind of like that. Uh, you know, so you're not going to worry too much about, you know, the Garnet defense is terrible or, or whatever. You're really looking at individuals. And, you know, I think for the fan base's sake, it'd probably be fun to have a high scoring football game with a lot of offense uh, just because you don't want any false concern. Uh, and that may be false hope, maybe false hope for sure, but you don't want any false concern uh, heading in uh, through what will be an off season of, you know, recruiting and, and getting ready for a, a season in football guys that I, I, I think that given all that we've been through here covering South Carolina following South Carolina, pulling for South Carolina uh, the past seven, eight years. Uh, I, I think it's it's okay to be hesitant to be super optimistic, um, you know, overly optimistic, like they're going to win the East, you know, that kind of thing. But I, I also don't think there's anything wrong with believing that this team has a lot more pieces in place than last year. It's the second year of a coaching staff. Uh, around the SEC, just about everybody improves in their second year um, or has, even guys that have gotten fired. I think Gus Malzahn was one that did not. And maybe Barry Odom, and those guys have been fired. But, uh, you know, Barry Odom, I think, did improve. I don't know. But, but look, I mean, you know, it, it's, it's uh, very rare that a coach in his second year does not improve. In the SEC, and I, and I, I, Will Muschamp's best years at Carolina and Florida were his second. He went eleven and two at Florida his second year, nine and four at Carolina his second year. Uh, Kirby Smart played for a national championship his second year, went eight and five his first year, and lost to Vandy at home. Um, you know, there's all kinds of examples. You know, Ed Orgeron, his second year, they uh, was I think it was the year that his second full year was the year that they. Uh, when the Fiesta Bowl, Joe Burrow gets hit, the UCF guys talking crap. Joe Burrow, since that point, he hadn't lost very many games <laughs> on any level. Uh, and that got him going. So that was a better year for them. Uh, Jeremy Pruitt at Tennessee, eight and five, his second year. It started ugly, but uh, that was his best year on Rocky Top. Um, you know, there's all kind of Jim McElroy, Dan Mullen. You know, 11 wins his second year compared to 10 his first. You know, so around the SEC, that usually happens. Uh, you know, Lane Kiffin, Sugar Bowl his second year. Mike Leach, second year, they beat, what, four top 25 teams. I mean, you know, there's a lot of examples. Second year improvement, that's um, that's important. Eli Drinkwitz did not improve his second year. They went six and seven, but they had five SEC wins the year before at Missouri. So maybe there's a little dip there. But uh, – I don't know. Yeah, you know, I, I think Carolina, as long as some of these guys play to their potential, you know, and I'm talking your new guys like Austin Stogner and uh, Juice Wells, and then your your guys that are supposed to be four and five star guys: Cam Smith, Marshawn Lloyd, Zach Pickens, Jordan Birch. You know, maybe a little Rick Sandy's thrown in there. I know he's still kind of banged up. You know, guys like that. You know, they they all need to play really, really well, uh, Spencer Rattler especially. So, you know, we'll see what happens. But I, I don't 
you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with, with being a little optimistic, you know, but uh, I also don't think there's anything wrong with being a little hesitant either. <laughs> I think that, uh, you know, if you're South Carolina, you know, you, you've been through a lot, you know, and the last year I think where there was this much optimism heading in was 2018, a lot of pieces coming back and a revamped offense. And what happened that year was Georgia, you know, took the wind out of Carolina. Saying, look, I, I think that year the problem was this. We all sat there and just assumed, because assuming will get you in trouble, <laughs> that the defense was going to be uh, – the defense will be fine. And, and if you look at those, you know, 2018, you look at the D-line and then you look at the injuries that took place, you know, with some guys that were supposed to play a lot that didn't. By the time the season was over, they were trotting out walk-ons. You know, that defense probably people assumed just because it was Muschamp or whatever, oh, they're going to be fine. They'll four. And then, then they didn't get the turnovers. Uh, and then the offense was inconsistent, but it still ended up being statistically one of the probably the best offense the last seven years they've had. Um, just inconsistent. You go from 600 yards against the national champions to getting shut out by Virginia. Of course, you're missing some players, but at the same time, yeah, you still had Shy Smith, you still had Brian Edwards and Tyson, you know, a lot of guys that were playing. So, um, you know, I, I think that was probably the problem that year with the prognostication is, hey, they went from three wins to six wins to nine wins. You know, everybody's back. Should be a really good offense. They, they got rid of Kurt Roper. That was holding them back. So, away you go. Then Georgia takes the win on themselves, lost to Kentucky again. Tough loss to A&M. Got on a roll. Brutally lost at Florida, you know, and they all ended up at seven and six, and then they went down from there. Um, and, and but the, but talking about preseason expectations, you know, South Carolina was the what I call the SEC East darlings in the offseason, and they, you know, that team a lot of times does not end up living up to potential. Now I'll say this: uh, in twenty twenty one. It was kind of split. That team was either Kentucky or Missouri. So those those that had Kentucky were spot on. They were spot on. Kentucky was ten and three, um, and they've won fifty. Uh, they won thirty three out of the last fifty games in Lexington. So they're pretty good. Um, so they were spot on. Uh, the the crowd that had Drinkwitz in Missouri probably was not. <laughs> Carolina's got to beat both those teams. Don't get me wrong, but you know Missouri was six and seven and. You know, had to squeak it out against Carolina and squeak it out against Florida to get to a bowl and then lost to Army in the bowl or whatever. So that, you know, that was a 50 The year before that, it was Tennessee, and Tennessee went 3-7, and seven, fired their coach. Uh, I think the year before that, in 2019, it was Missouri. It was the, the, the Kelly Bryant is going to win 10 games at Missouri crowd. They went six and six and fired their coach. Twenty eighteen, definitely Carolina, and they went seven and six. Uh, Twenty seventeen, who, who was that team that was supposed to be really good in the East? It wasn't. Was it Tennessee again? In that, yeah, it was Tennessee. Tennessee or Florida behind Georgia, and they both got fired. So beware of the SEC East darling outside of Georgia and, and at times Georgia and Florida. And then so coming into this season, from what I can tell so far, it's the Tennessee Volunteers. They're the team that is 
you know, supposed to rock and roll. And that's a human nature, man. You got an offense like that. Everybody loves watching them play. They've got their quarterback coming back. Uh, you know, people are going to be fired up, you know, because the media loves points. They're going to gravitate toward points. And they could. Tennessee could have a 8, 9, 10 win team this year. You know, they come to Columbia kind of at a weird time uh, the week before the Clemson game. And I don't think the whole time the Gamecocks have been in the SEC, that game's been either early November or Halloween or sometimes mid-October, at times late September. But I don't think they've ever played it that late. So they come to Columbia for senior night. So the Gamecocks don't have to worry about them for a while. But, uh, yeah, that's the that's the, so I think it's kind of good South Carolina's not the who's going to knock off Georgia darling type team. But neither is Florida. Uh, honest to God, neither is Kentucky. But I, I, if I had to pick, just being neutral about it, you know, putting my college football analyst hat on. <coughs> Excuse me. Mm. I'd go with the Wildcats. I, I you know, I, they've, uh, you know, I mean, look, the last nine years they've owned Carolina. They're seven and two. They've won in Columbia. They've won in Lexington. I think at this point, it's not about them beating South Carolina anymore. It's that they got a really solid football program. That they've kind of become the Michigan State of the SEC, which makes sense because they get the same players Michigan State used to get uh, out of Ohio and places like that, and they're very resourceful and. Now you see their recruiting ticking up numerically. So you, I don't know what Mark Stoops is going to end up doing there long term. My guess is that, that there's going to be some year they win the East, um, just to be honest with you. But, uh, you know, if you're South Carolina, he's got to go take a shot and try to beat him again because those games have been close. You know, I know the, the pandemic year at the end of the year it wasn't, but, you know, I, I think me and you and Bubba the Love Sponge and – you know, 18 of our closest friends from the bowling alley could have probably gone out there and, uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't know, held our own in that one. I know Kevin Harris was running hard and all that, but defense was just bad. And, you know, I think everybody knew a head, new head coach was going to be hired. It was in December anyway, end of a long year, right? And uh, Carolina just wasn't going to stop them. But uh, other than that, they've been pretty close. You know, but uh, – Honestly, you know, if I had to pick the darling team, I don't think I'd pick Tennessee. I'd pick Kentucky. Well, then there's a whole matter, too, though, of this. If you're trying to decide between the balls and Wildcats, and you talk about Kentucky owning Carolina, eh, Tennessee's pretty much owned Kentucky. Tennessee's being Kentucky, but Tennessee's been bad. And Kentucky's been good. I mean, it, it just hasn't been pretty. Now, the pandemic year, uh, that was a different story. Kentucky went into Knoxville and whipped them. And then, you know, the poop sandwich they get is Tennessee comes back in, comes to Lexington last year and wins in a shootout. So, wow, you know, <laughs> if, you're, uh, if you're the Tennessee Volunteers and Kentucky Wildcats, that's a very, very interesting kind of deal uh, right there. So, anyway, um, enough about that. Moving on to the analysis segment. And uh, I wanted to say thank you to Cindy Sirfoss of Caldwell Banker Kane. Uh, Cindy is married to a diehard Gamecock fan, been in the upstate for over 35 years, and would love to help you with any of your real estate needs. You can contact Cindy at 864-414-5271. 
or email her, C Searfoss, C S E A R F O S S at cbcane.com. That's C B C A I N E.com. Right there in my hometown of Spartanburg, South Carolina, Daniel Morgan Avenue. That's where she rolls uh, and has her office, and she rolls all over the upstate trying to help you figure out solutions uh, in this crazy world of real estate. You know, prices are high uh, uh, for about everything now, but home prices, they're kind of inching back down. Uh, so it may be a good time to sell and buy real quick, take advantage of that profit, hold on to it, and then uh, come back when the prices are really going to drop here pretty soon. Hopefully. Don't take my advice for that, though. Call Cindy, 864-414-5271. Cindy Searfoss of Caldwell Banker Kane right there in Spartanburg, uh, Daniel Morgan Avenue. I guess that's near the Beacon. I uh, was telling uh, my girlfriend about the Beacon the other day, and we watched a video of another J.C. from of the most famous J.C. from Spartanburg, <laughs> J.C. Strobel. Call it. Uh, and oh, how I miss the Beacon sometimes. Uh, couldn't eat there a whole lot once I turned like 23 because I wasn't a kid anymore. So my, the digestive system just couldn't handle eating there a whole lot. But certainly when I was in the upstate full time, you know, I love to head over there once every six months to a year and uh, load up. So next time I'm up there, definitely going to do that, but shouldn't be advertising for the beacon. They should, they should pay me. <laughs> uh, but city Searfoss, uh, Caldwell Becker K right there in Spartanburg near the beacon. Um, I wanted to say this quick, and this is something that, you know, and I just kind of talked about why, you know, there's hope for football this year. And, and when you say hope, you know, look, it, you know, I, I think we're all hopeful the Gamecocks could get back to a bowl. You know, it had been since 2018. Uh, the 4-8 record in 2019 was a surprise because that team was probably better than that if you look at all the players they had. You know, Jake Bentley goes out. You had a rough game against Missouri uh, that that sucked. Uh, you blew a lead against Florida yet again. The Tennessee game that year was inexcusable. You lost at home to App State. I mean – you know, there were some games that year that just like you just kind of scratched your head. North Carolina started with North Carolina. Uh, you know, Gamecocks that year on paper heading in should have been good enough to beat North Carolina. That's five wins. <laughs> should have been good enough to beat Missouri. That's six wins. Uh, should have been good enough to beat App State. That's seven. Yeah, it should have been good enough to beat Tennessee, quite frankly, in Knoxville. That Tennessee team was a team that lost to Georgia State. Now, they ended up being good. Um, could have been eight wins. I mean, you know, you had Javon Kinlaw on that D-line, DJ Wanham on the D-line. Uh, you did not have Debo, but you had Brian Edwards and Shai Smith. And, uh, you know, you had uh, some players, you know, Nick Muse and Kyle Markway at tight end. Now Muse ended up getting hurt. And, you know, uh, Tavian Feaster and uh, Rico Dowdle, you know, all those guys. I mean, that, that was a, that was a team that could have been better, right, uh, on both sides, you know. And, and then the two and eight year during the pandemic, you know, and, and, and you had a bunch of guys back and you didn't know how to win. And that was my main concern going into last year was, you know, do these guys know how to win? And I think that's why some of these games – that against the Troys of the world and the Vandys of the world, and the East Carolinas of the world that were close, that, that the Gamecocks pulled out. But you sit there and go, my God, you know, <laughs> uh, they barely beat these guys. What 
I think those were bad and ugly, but necessary because I think a lot of times when you, when you have a group that's, you know, lost 16 out of 22, in some cases, 19 out of 27, you know, they, they get accustomed to losing, lose close ones to app state blown out by this team, that team, the other. And so when you're in a close situation like that, you're like, here we go again. And you can dig deep and your team wins. You're like, Oh, okay. I get it now. So, Next time that happens, what's going to happen? Next time that happens, what's going to happen? And you stay focused on, you know, playing the next play and executing and, you know, understanding that, you know, what you have to do in certain situations. Uh, That helps your whole team get confident. Uh, And then by the time Florida rolls around, you know, you win. You know, they obviously had a not-so-great night, people say, you know, maybe they didn't on defense. I don't know. That defense wasn't all that good all year. <laughs> uh, offensively, though, Carolina shut them down. But, uh, you know, you know that, and then you go blow it at Missouri, which looked bad. But then you get back up off the mat the very next week. Auburn comes to town. They're up 14 nothing. Looks like you're done, Dundee, and gone, Gandhi. And you get up off the mat and you win that. Well, then Clemson embarrasses you, you know. Well, then you get up off the mat and you win the bowl game. And I think all that thing, all that season with the ups and downs mentally helps teams that even though, even though they're veterans, they're not used to winning and they're not used to know how to win and how to handle it and what to do. I think that helps. I think responding helps. I think pulling out close wins, no matter who they're against, uh, it helps. Uh, we as people that analyze the game or we as fans or whoever's out there, you know, that's, that sucks. You don't, you know, Vanderbilt comes to town, you, you know, as bad as they were last year or with a first year head coach, you don't expect to have to put Zeb Nolan in late, and have to have a, a, a stop inside the five to hold them to a field goal and have to hope they play base defense and, and don't rush the passer. <laughs> Throw a late touchdown to Xavier Leggett to win. You don't expect to have to do that. But, and, and you know, fans walk away disappointed. You know, nobody expects everybody to be Pollyanna and be like, hey, guys, we won. Oh, yeah, great. Super. Click your heels together or whatever. You know, some people are like that. And that's fine. But uh, I, uh, you know, I think that was necessary. <laughs> I think it's necessary having to come back and win at East Carolina. You know, and then and then it was necessary probably to get your brains beat in by Tennessee and Texas A and M and Georgia, you know, because you learn how to bounce back from that. Uh, and and you know, so that all gives me hope. That that gives me hope, and, and it's a different way of looking at it because, and it's hard to look at it that way uh, if you're you're us, you know. And when I say us, I mean media and fans, and even coaches. You know, it's hard for them to look at it that way. My God, we struggled with Vanderbilt. But players, there's just something when when the culture's this way and you're trying to move the culture towards a winning culture. And, you know, you're never going to do that if you sit around and gripe about close wins. It doesn't matter who it's against. You know, you're never going to get that culture if you're just like, oh, we only beat them by one point or whatever. Um you know, I think there was a lot to correct. And there's also, you know, 
the, the spurrier way. Well, hey, we shouldn't, we didn't play it. Well, we almost lost, you know, that kind of thing. But, you know, Spurrier had some close calls that he wasn't happy for, happy about, Walford, one of them. But they wouldn't play the next play, play the next, the next game and stuff like that. Um, and you keep your focus on moving forward, and, and you're like, and then you add it all up at the end and say, oh, how do we do? We won seven. You know, and, and when, you, when you lose 16 out of 22, and, you know, you're sitting there trying to, oh, well, our program is good because this guy got drafted here, or our program's good because uh, we put these guys in the NFL, or our, our program's good because of this. You know, that takes the joy out of it because those are individual accomplishments, yet you're sitting there at your team results and you've lost 16 out of 22, 18 out, 19 out of 27. You're historically bad, uh, you know, worst stretch since the 1990s, late 90s. So I, I think that having a 7-6 and six record, uh, as ugly at times as it was, uh, is a better deal than being four and eight and playing a little bit better football, you know, and all that. And I hear this too, you know, and, and here's some things uh, that, that I want to, to kind of get off my chest. I hear a lot of people say they didn't beat a team, single team with a winning record. Oh goodness. Well, that uh, the 2019 team we just talked about, uh, they beat two teams, half their wins uh, were over teams with winning records, including uh the SEC East champs and uh, a Kentucky team that they desperately needed to beat. Well, they only won four. I'll take seven. Okay. <laughs> I'll take the seven. Right. You know, and, and, you know, people are like, well, but, but here's the bottom line then. Uh, you're right. No teams with winning records, but they did beat three bowl teams. Florida was a bowl team. They were six and six. Auburn was six and six in the bowl team. They were right in the top 25 at one point. Uh, North Carolina was a bowl team. You know, and then you had Vandy, Troy, Eastern Illinois. Uh, even, uh, let's see, who else did they beat? Vandy, Troy, Eastern Illinois. Yeah, okay. East Carolina. East Carolina was a bowl team. Uh, so you beat four bowl teams out of the seven wins. And all the losses were to teams that went to bowls. Um, there was one team with a losing record, and that was obviously Missouri, but they went to a bowl. They were six and six, and the Tennessee was seven and six, seven and five, went to the Music City Bowl, lost to Purdue on a terrible call. Uh, the teams Carolina lost to last year were a combined 55 and 24. So, yeah, okay, they didn't beat a team with a winning record, but four out of the seven wins were over teams that went to the postseason. That's not a huge benchmark. They were 500 football teams. You know, they all lost their bowl game. That was kind of the difference. Carolina won theirs. But but they kind of have, kind of were the same as Carolina. And, and you know, you, you look at some of these previous seasons they've had, and, and there are teams that Carolina's probably just as good as that they've lost to. Well, this year – Teams that are just as good as they they beat. Now I can make an argument that they should have beaten Missouri for sure. I thought that was a bad loss. Uh, I can make an argument that they did not play Tennessee the way you have to play teams that play offense like Tennessee, and they lost. Uh, was Tennessee that much better than South Carolina last year? No, I don't think so. Um, some teams they were overwhelmed against. They just didn't have it. But 
you know, th- this whole notion that, you know, ah, oh, they just beat a lot of bad teams, you know, well, look, man, the, the, the alternative to that is you, you don't, you know, those 500 teams that you beat that you think are so terrible, you lose to them. Florida was a 20 point favorite. Auburn was, I think, 11 and a half. North Carolina was 12 and a half. So the Vegas folks didn't have much faith in the game guys were going to win. You guys won. And, and I think instead of harping on that, you know, you got to kind of, if you're going to put it in perspective and, you know, pick, you know, slice and dice everything and, and, and judge quality of wins, you got to judge quality of losses too. You know, you got to judge the fact that, you know, Georgia was pretty good. Clemson, even though they were down by their standards, pretty good team. They won 10 games. You know, they were a double overtime loss to NC State away from winning the uh, the ACC this year. So, you know, now you look at the roster now, and there's a lot more speed on the roster, uh, especially on offense. And so everybody from Juice Wells to Amarian Brown, Juju McDowell, uh, game breakers. And, uh, you know, it's nice (laughs) and helpful uh, in college football, I think, when you can, you know, make a couple of guys miss, take it to the house. (laughs) And I think Jaheim Bell, Marshawn Lloyd, you know, so that that that's one thing to keep in mind. Now, look, the Clemson game is a long way away. And some of those games where, you know, Carolina couldn't match their speed on offense, you know, Carolina had some injuries and stuff, uh, you know, so you hope to be healthy by the time that one rolls around. Even this past year, Josh Van hurt his hamstring right before the game. I mean, <laughs> it never fails. Um, so one of the few guys that could have gotten open – made a big play vertically, you know, he was kind of half speed or whatever. So anyway, you know, that, that when you look at those games uh, and you see the difference with the speed, now look, I don't know what to do about defense. Uh, for the life of me, I didn't expect Clemson to have the most rushing yards that anybody had against Carolina this past year in that one. Uh, didn't expect that one. And, I've kind of maintained all along that if that, that that game was exceptionally disappointing, and it, but if I was disappointed in one thing, it was it was the D. Um, they just got kind of pushed around by an offense that that wasn't all that good. I mean, let's just call it like it is. Clemson's offense was not the Clemson offense we were used to seeing, and there were some very very suspect defenses like Boston College and Georgia Tech and. You know, you name it, Pitt, whoever, that, that were able to hold them at bay. You know, South Carolina was not able to with a defense that was pretty good. But uh, offensively, you know, when you look at that matchup, it, it, and it's relevant because you, you're going to face some other teams on the schedule that have a lot of defensive speed as well. And you have to be able to match that or you're going to get overwhelmed. And, uh, you know, South Carolina has some guys like that. So, you know, there's the positive. There's another positive thing uh, or, or more guys like that. You know, it's not they don't have anybody or haven't had anybody, but you got more guys like that. This is not going to be what I would call a slow and plotting type of grinded out offense. 
this year. I, I think it's going to be one where you're going to see some guys make some big plays. What they call it, they call it explosive plays these days. It's a big buzzword in college football. More explosives this year. Uh, they have the personnel to do it. So we will see. The, the, the players are not uh, going to be a, a hindrance uh, as far as explosive plays go this year. So there's that. All right. Again, spring game this weekend, and it's time for the mailbag, the I Help Consulting mailbag, as we always, uh, you know, do. <laughs> we love the uh, I Help Consulting mailbag, and it is brought to you by, of course, I Help Consulting. So uh, if you're looking to save time, money, whatever, uh, with your business, you need to contact I Help Consulting, Daniel Owens. Uh, he's a gamecock. He owns and operates the company. His only mission is to help you save bit money on expenses, you and your business. You may be paying too much for credit card processing, internet, health insurance, anything else. He can find your business the most savings without sacrificing quality. And remember, if he can't save you any money, you don't pay him anything. That's right. If I help, can't help your business, it's no cost to you. So call or text Daniel, 843-372-5713, or visit iHelpConsulting.com to schedule a free consultation. That number again, 843-372-5713, iHelp Consulting. How can I help you? Daniel's going to help with Carolina Rise, the new uh, NIL collective. I had some information on the Big Spur about that today. Uh, filed with the state of South Carolina. The LLC is up and running. Got a bank account ready to go. Working on the payment processor for electronic payments. Do have a mailing address. Um, some people ask if they could send checks. So that's uh, that's something we can definitely do. If you'd like that mailing address, you want to send a check, let me know. Or, you know, most of you probably want to wait uh, because when you get we get the payment processor up and the actual site up, you, you can do recurring. So in other words, you can you can pledge, you know, give 20 bucks a month, something like that. And takes it out of your account every month or whatever. So if you want to do that, that's fine too. If you want to give a lump sum, that's fine. If you want to write a check for 20 bucks, that's fine. I don't, I don't, not picky. Um, and one thing I did want to say about this too is you're, you're going to hear me talk a lot, uh, you know, and as my audience, uh, and I appreciate every one of you, I want to stress this and I'm going to continue to stress this because it, it, it's an awkward situation when you're, when you're, I think, I don't, it's not a conflict of interest because I think all the interest is there, but you're going to hear me stress the, and say a lot of big picture type of stuff about NIL. Like, um, you know, if South Carolina wants to be competitive, you know, cause, cause I think the ten- tendency around here is always to blame someone who's in charge, uh, which is fine because, you know, with a lot of stuff, the person in charge is to blame or, or is accountable. Right. Even, even the stuff, that you know, I think fundamentally ridiculous that people blame Ray Tanner for, you know, big picture wise, he's the AD and the buck stops with him. He's in charge, as he's in charge of the performance of his department, and that's fine. Uh, but with NIL, you, it's really up to us collectively, us out here on the, on the outside because the university. Uh, right now, with the way the laws are, they can't really bring a whole lot in-house. It's just kind of up to Gamecock Nation to facilitate it. So you're going to hear me say a lot about, hey, look, you want to have a good basketball program, 
you know, people have to step up and give money. You know, have a good football program. People got to do this, that, and the other. Uh, I want you to know that when I say that, I'm speaking more in terms of me, podcast host, website owner, analyst, that kind of thing. And I'm not sitting there trying to shame anybody into giving money to the collective that I started. I don't really care where you give it. Uh, you know, I think you should give it if you want, if you can afford it. If not, you know, I don't think you should be shamed or anything like that. Um, and I'm going to continue to, to, to put little caveats in there like that and make it clear that, you know, I'm not going to sit here. I mean, we've got a podcast here. We've got to talk Gamecocks and break down the players and analyze the game. And This is not a fundraising podcast, right? I, I am not getting you guys on the podcast every week to, to get money from you. Um, and really with this collective, no money's going in my pocket anyway. Uh, if I wanted to get money from you, I'd uh, charge a subscription fee <laughs> that you can do now on Apple Podcasts with podcasts. <laughs> uh, and I'm not. You know, that's going to remain free. And we got to talk ball right here. You know, We've got to talk uh, football, baseball, basketball, women's basketball, Carolina, Gamecocks, SEC, whatever. we got to talk ball here. This is not uh, – a fundraising platform. Now I'm going to mention it. I'm going to hope that, uh, you know, those of you that are out there, cause our, our podcast audience is actually much larger than the big spur membership. Um, I've been hoping that some of you that, that aren't on the big spur, you know, uh, if, if that's not your thing, if, if you're more of a podcast listener than a website guy, then, you know, I hope that, that we can reach you and you give some money uh, to Carolina rise or Garnet trust or, you know, if you're an independent business owner and you just want to make a deal with a player and, and help, that's fine. Uh, but I'm not going to browbeat you and spend a lot of time, you know, talking about that and, and using this as some kind of fundraising megaphone. And and when I talk about NIL in general at South Carolina, and if it's lacking or, you know, better than everybody else, that's, that's not a hint, hint. You need to do this, that, or the other, you know, because like I said, this is a free product. It's always been a free product. We have very, uh, we have some limited advertisers that, that, that do really well with me. I'm not getting rich off of it, but I don't, I don't want to change that. Uh, just because I think people enjoy it like it is. And, and I love the fact that some of you enjoy it and like listening. So I just want to say that because I, you know, you start getting into the weeds on this thing. This thing starts going. Uh, you're like, gosh, JC just wants money from us. And then, no, that's not it. That's not it. It's two different things when you when you analyze an NIL situation, uh, big picture-wise out of school. And then when you have a collective, uh, you know, that's not me sitting there saying, go put in your credit cards and give my organization money. Um, just want to say that. And you won't spend any, I won't spend a whole lot of time talking about it, you know, in, in that way. So that's just kind of a PSA about all that, but it is up and running and the address is on the big spur and uh, we'll see, uh, see kind of what happens uh, with everything. You can also follow it on Twitter at Carolina rise one, the number one. Uh, you can also get into the mailbag and um, you can get into the mailbag by tweeting at us at the big spur pod. Please follow that on Twitter. We're up. I'd like to get to a thousand followers on that Twitter account. Also, you guys have been great on Instagram following at inside the Gamecocks. And we have a Facebook page now, <laughs> facebook.com slash inside the Gamecocks. 
where you're going to be able to get all this. So I encourage everybody to like that page too on Facebook. Just decided to expand the social media reach today with everything. Got a Carolina Rise Facebook page. Got a Twitter account. Got a uh, JC and Morgan Facebook page. Now just put a lot of pages out there. So if you enjoy this, go like those. All right. So the first one comes in from Cosmo Davis. Excellent Twitter handle. He says, I see 2023 players committing here and there across the board. Realize South Carolina does not have any uh, left uh, in the class. Um, uh, Any for the class so far. Uh, He's like, should we be worried about that? Um, I would be if they didn't have two sides. I'm not worried. I I don't want to say worried. Um, I would say I'd be a little, you know, I'd be a little – I guess anxious to get the first one in, you know, because you always like the first one. You usually have one by now. So that's, that's probably, um, you know, my feeling on the subject. Now I'm going to, I'm going to let you in a little secret. Uh, If, if (laughs) the uh, Gamecocks had the two guys that I believe the silence are, you know, their ranking would probably be around twelfth uh, or so in the league. You know, they're, they're they're the only ones I think without a commit in the SEC right now. Um, but two really solid guys, and you know, you get a third one, I think they jump up the middle of the pack. Uh, a lot of that has to do with how many commits you have, and you know, most people have two, and Carolina does have two. You know, they're just silent. Uh, so LSU's got two, Bama's two, Auburn's two, Missouri's two, Ole Miss and Florida are one each. And then the teams with more commits, Arkansas is on top of the league right now, but they have 10 commitments, um, seven commits for Georgia, six commits for A&M, six for Tennessee. Uh, Tennessee's class, Tennessee's, Georgia's, A&M's class are probably the best. Bama's got two commits. They're seventh. That's not going to hold, you know, so we'll see what happens. But, uh, you know, that's a little, you know, just kind of if the sound, and I've got a pretty good idea of who the silence are. If um, if you put those guys in and ran it through the class calculator, South Carolina would be, you know, not last in the SEC with two commits. And then, and then you get a third or so. You never know who it's going to be. It's going to go up. So uh, am I super worried? No. Uh, when can you expect to see some players announcing? I would think any time now. Could be this weekend. Could be the week following. I think at least, and I think what you'll see is just like last year. You'll, it'll come in waves. It'll probably a lot will come in June, and then July, and then some in August, and then the class will probably be like eighty percent of the way there at least by then. Uh, so I appreciate it, Brian. Thank you. And that's the only Twitter question we had today. The other way to get in is uh, inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. We got two from there, Sean. Hey, JC, with NIL rounding into form and becoming a major factor, do you think coaching staffs in the future will place more importance on coaches who can actually coach or still emphasize coaches who can get recruits? It just crossed my mind yesterday with Amarius Mims going in the portal. Um, I, I, you know, I don't know what the talk, what the story is on Mims. If it is indeed about NIL, I think that's kind of sad. 
but I also will say that sometimes Georgia will lose a coach or a player and you, you, I'm not accusing anyone of lying, uh, or, but sometimes it just doesn't make any sense. Uh, so you're telling me, I mean, cause like, all right, it's not recruiting, right? Amarius is already there. So Amarius wants to leave because he wants an NIL deal. Are you telling me, I mean, th- this guy's a big time offensive tackle. So, so are you telling me there's not a Georgia business owner or booster or someone that would cut him an NIL deal? Now, the Georgia state law may be hurting them because I think I think they have to pool a certain amount of their money. But you can make the dollars work even with the pool. So, so, so are you telling me – And because, you know, he's probably going to Florida State or Miami. Florida State's NIL stuff, it's not Miami's. <laughs> um. So, so I don't know. I mean, you know, it's kind of the same way where, you know, Tracy Rocker leaves because he allegedly didn't recruit Aubrey Solomon well. And then he goes to Tennessee and Aubrey Solomon leaves Michigan and, and goes to Tennessee to play for Tracy Rocker. I mean, and that ended up not being true. So, you know, I don't know. You know, there's a lot of rumors out there with that kind of stuff. Now, uh, I, I think you need, you need coaches who can coach. Uh, I, I, I will say this, Sean, and I mentioned it the other day when people were sort of giving Hardesty a hard time, you know, because, you know, the, in recruiting, you normally say, hey, your running backs coach needs to sign a bunch of guys. He's not really, you know, you, you don't really do a bunch of coaching with running backs. Um, but those days, you know, now you, you kind of have, a lot of team recruiting, position recruiting, that kind of thing. So, so those days are kind of fading away too, where you have the the star recruiting assistant. You, you have guys that recruit their position, uh, and that's because some of the in-house people are really so much more involved. You have whole departments that do it, and that would be like Taylor Edwards at South Carolina uh, and people like that. So, you know, those days are kind of fading as well. I, I think it's important to have guys that can coach across the board. Uh, more importantly – uh, I think if you're talking about recruiting, uh, I think you need guys that can evaluate and develop talent. I think you need the the guys like your Brad Lawings of the world that can sit there and go, not only, hey, here's what I like about this guy as a recruit because he's 6'5", 215, he runs this, he's got this wingspan, all that, he's got this frame, but this is how I'm going to turn him into 6'5", 255 and a dominant pass rusher. You know, that kind of thing. And honestly, that's kind of rare in in football these days. Um, So that's that. But, uh, yeah, that Mims thing, I'm just not too sure about. But we'll see. We'll see if uh, what the truth is. Because I I just, you know, unless he's just not very good, and that's the that could be the case too. Some five stars aren't very good, right? (laughs) Maybe Amarius Mims is going to be a huge bust. But, you know, you tell, I mean, you know, like I said, if he was just a recruit and he picked Miami over Georgia because of NIL, eh, yeah, because, you know, Georgia may not, uh, they may not be willing to say you can get this guaranteed, wink, wink, nod, nod. You know, their NIL people may not, may, may be doing it by the rules, which the vast majority of folks are Carolina, Clemson, everybody, you know. Uh, they might, if it was a recruit, you know, you, you can kind of spin things different ways, but th- that's a current player. It's easy. All it takes is somebody picking up the phone saying, here's your NIL deal. It's perfectly legal. So I don't know. Yeah. Maybe the state law got it. I don't know. I don't know. Sean says, side note, I get South Carolina fans frustration with Bud Elliott in particular. 
He constantly lumps us in with Vanderbilt as a program, seems to think Kentucky is a vastly superior program, and is flabbergasted that you have South Carolina gets a recruit that's four stars or better. Yeah, and you know what? Some of those guys that, that aren't four stars probably should be, and if that's the attitude, screw them. I mean, yeah, and I don't know that that's what Bud really thinks. It may come across that way. Uh, you know, being a Florida State person like he is, and, and, and I'll, I'll back that up. I, you know, I don't know that being a Florida State fan has anything to do with it. Being someone from the state of Florida like he is, he probably has like an outsized opinion about the magic of Steve Spurrier. And, and it's probably just like, oh, that's why they were any good at all. Spurrier, you know, because he's probably seen, you know, unless Florida's had Urban Meyer or Steve Spurrier, Florida hadn't, you know, hadn't done much. Uh, you know, he looks in Clemson's in the state or whatever. So uh, I get it. I don't think he's correct. Um, is Kentucky a vastly superior program? No, there, there's jobs, programs, and teams. Kentucky's had a vastly superior team for nine years, you know. Uh, but like I said, I think they're two and seven against Tennessee during that time. They're in the worst stretch of Tennessee ever. So different teams own different other teams. Uh, I, I think Kentucky's pulled at least even with South Carolina program wise. Is it a better job than South Carolina? Hell no, it's not. Uh, are they a better team than South Carolina? Yeah. So there's three different categories: team, program, job. Yeah, and that's those are all different categories. Um, so and Kentucky, look, man, you can't. They've been a better team for a while. 33 and 17 in the last 50 games. Are they a better program? I think they're probably right there, even program wise. Job, no. You know, job is a different category. So that's the deal there. You know, it's just like people when they were talking about the Xavier job versus the South Carolina job. Well, South Carolina's been on Final Four. Xavier hasn't in basketball. Well, that doesn't mean Xavier is not a better program and a better job. That means South Carolina had a better team that year. You know, and that's all that is. Thanks, Sean. We got one more. All right. JC, I heard a podcast interview with Shane Beamer on Brian Doan's 24-7 podcast last week. He said a lot of the same things. He said locally about the offense, having to get better to run the ball, et cetera. Doan asked about integrating Rattler in the offense. He said he felt it was important to give Rattler plays he is comfortable with. He said they have a number of plays from the Lincoln Riley system in Oklahoma in the offense. He said they have the plays named exactly what they were at OU. He said, for example, they have one called Boomer, and one named Sooner, and one named Kyler. They have several plays from OU that are named different things. He said they called one the other day, went for a big game, and Spencer looked over and said he remembers that one. He said, same play, we just called it something else at OU. All this to ask you, all this to ask you is do you think Beamer is getting more involved in the offense this year? You see more command. It was more specific in what they thought they were doing this year than last. Thanks, Noodles. Um, I haven't heard that. I don't know that you're going to get anybody on the record to say that. And I haven't heard it behind the scenes. But I do think that the head coach is not a space cadet. Uh, I think he knows what went wrong. I think, you know – People, uh, some people want to sit there and say, oh, it wasn't, they weren't confused. I don't care what anybody says. Uh, Whatever they were trying to do last year was not good. And they fixed it. You know, they they got it fixed uh, by the bowl game and in certain other games. So I, uh, 
I have a feeling that, you know, hey, look, it, and it, it makes sense because some of those Lincoln Rally plays were in the offense last year, right? You, you know, people are like, well, you know, you can't tell. I mean, people, it didn't look like the Lincoln Rally offense. Yeah, but there were plays in there. You know, they put it kind of put it together, and there was a little bit here and there. And, and so it makes sense because of Spencer's experience in that offense for two years to run some things he's comfortable with. Uh, I think it would be a no-brainer. I also think there's other things that they're running as well. It's different. Uh, so I think, uh, you know, I think that's the deal there. But, um, you know, like I said, I haven't heard it. I haven't heard of Beamer getting involved with the offense, taking over whatever. But I know that Beamer kind of sets the parameters. And the head coach, it's his job to say, hey, guys, here's what we need to work on. And here's what we need to do different. And here's how we need to set this team up for success. I mean, he wouldn't be doing his job if he wasn't. He doesn't just need head coaches uh, that are good. And I do believe Shane Beamer is a good head coach. They don't, they don't sit around and recruit, and, you know, oh, whatever. What are you guys doing? Oh, great. Mom, the meatloaf, you know, that kind of thing. So that's that with that. But I appreciate the email there. Again, inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com or tweet to at the Big Spur Pod to be part of the iHealth Consulting Mailbag. All right, that's going to be it for today on Wednesday, April 13th. Uh, Should be back with more later this week. I'll be on the Locked on the Gamecocks podcast uh, coming up, gosh, Friday. Uh, Also, remember JB and Goldwater from from today. They've got that archived on their podcast. Uh, You probably won't hear this until the segment's over but I'm on 104.9 FM in the upstate. It's a new sports talk radio station in the upstate that I highly recommend, especially if you're done with, you know, the other one up there. And I'm not talking about the Clemson one either. Uh, Seems to be a Gamecock-oriented radio station from right there in Greenville. Uh, I'll be on there today. I don't know if they archive that or not, but be sure to check it out. Uh, And, of course, thebigspur.com all weekend long. Uh, and all that. So appreciate you guys listening. JC Sherbert, Inside the Gamecast Podcast, signing off.